I am Dino Tripotis. Tonight on the show, the former undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, James Buster Douglas, enters a new ring tonight on Whiskey Business. Good evening, those of you joining us for a very special, special edition of Whiskey Business. In this corner, broadcasting remotely from his mother's condominium in Palm Harbor, Florida. The current reigning host of Whiskey Business, Dino Tripotis. And in the opposite guest corner this evening, the legendary, shocked the world 30 years ago, James Buster Douglas, the former undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. But tonight, he goes into a different arena, the whiskey arena, with a brand new whiskey, Buster Douglas's 42 to 1. We are thrilled to be back with you on Facebook Live and YouTube Live, and we hope that everybody is uh, handling themselves and doing well in the current situation that we are still in uh, as I mentioned, I am broadcasting from Palm Harbor, Florida. I'm, I'm visiting my mother, taking care of my mother, who's had a, a few setbacks. And uh, But we managed through technology to get everything together this evening. So before we get into everything, let's go to my producers, who I could not do this without, Greg Hansberry on the audio side and John Whitney hey, on the video hey, side hey. as well. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice to see your faces. Of course. Good to see you, man. And yeah. yeah, you are the reigning champ. If you can, uh, you know, put up with uh, Mother Dearest down there, all right? You know, I'm proud of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know what Norman Bates said? <laughs> A boy's best friend is his mother. <laughs> we know how that turned out, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so a little business, Hansberry, before we get started. Yeah. Thanks for checking out Whiskey Business. If you're watching us live on YouTube or Facebook, thank you very much. And if you haven't already, click follow or like or subscribe wherever uh you, you know wherever it is to do that if you're listening to this uh on your favorite podcasting app in the future then go ahead and follow us on social media uh, and you'll find out when we do live shows like this uh and you can you'll catch us live uh but yeah facebook youtube instagram twitter uh and whiskeybusinesspod.com find us all there and uh, binge listen some archives while you're quarantined at home with your with your quarantine that's the new the quarantine is that the yeah, new, yeah, new, the new lingo now? Yeah. nice very nice and of course uh video wise we could not exist without the great john whitney who this is a this is a, this is a switch because uh the guest bottle put it up there johnny why don't you buster douglas's 42 to 1 is only uh, available right now, I think, in Ohio. I don't have access to it down here in Florida. So this is the first time in whiskey business history that I am not partaking in the guest bottle at all. So and you're missing John, out, buddy. Yeah, you guys have it. So uh, right out of the gate, uh, the, I know I know that it's a uh, 84 proof bourbon. I know that it's finished in American white oak, but as far as how it tastes and what it's got going on. Uh, that gentlemen, this is this is your moment to whiskey shine, Johnny. I like it. Um, I you know when you first taste it, it's got a little bit of a of a sharpness to it. So I think there's a, some rye in there that's a little bit higher rye content. Um, but it's like really smooth in the middle with some sweetness and some vanilla, and it's smooth at the end. So as far as a sipping whiskey, this is this is really good stuff. These guys did a good job. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I agree. Uh, I I took took some notes. Uh, vanilla on the nose, but uh, vanilla, be, on the nose. Vanilla, vanilla on the nose. Yeah, uh, there was a little bit of a chocolate bite uh, in it too. Mm. Like it was, it was a kind of a dark chocolate, kind of bittery flavor, sweet flavor though. Uh, a, a creamy mouth feel. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I wrote it down. My favorite. And uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce this word. Ver verbose. You had to look that up, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ver verbose. Yeah, it's, I, I, it, it, I've already used the word boisterous, so verbose. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was uh, 30 years ago in February of this year that uh, Buster Douglas shocked the sporting world by defeating Mike Tyson. 
and hence the name of Buster Douglas's 42 to 1 because those were the ridiculous underdog odds that were set against his battle against uh, Mike Tyson. Uh, first of all, moving forward, do you want me to call you James Buster, Mr. Douglas? What, what would you champ. prefer? I vote for champ. All right, champ. Right. <laughs> champ, champ it is. Thank you for thank you for not saying Mr. Douglas because the first thing that pops into my mind is 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 Green Acres. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you don't want that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Uh, Green Acres, old TV show from the '60s. You younger kids looking at Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Douglas, have I got a proposition for you? I'd be Mr. Haney off of the podcast. Thank you so much for being here, man. Let's talk about the whiskey right out of the gate, and then we'll work our way back if you will, 42 to one, such a apropos name for a whiskey, especially in this current whiskey world. I mean, I don't, I, I think you kind of have to appreciate the irony of stepping into the whiskey world right now where there's new whiskeys coming out almost on a weekly basis. So in, in a sense, you're kind of an underdog again, coming into this, into this world of bourbon. So how did it all start? Who approached you, and and how did this come to be? Well, I was approached by the by the company, and a friend of mine is John Pace. Actually, the company approached my friend John Pace about doing a whiskey, a bourbon whiskey, whiskey, and put my name on it. Said it was mm -hmm. sort of like me, a tall, brown skin, <laughs> handsome bottle. <laughs> smooth, smooth, smooth yet yeah, rugged. Yeah, uh, got a little bit of a bite to it. Got a little bit of a bite to it. Sneaks up on you. Sneaks up on you. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, uh, forty-two to one, which is a great name because, like I said, those are the odds that were that were set when you fought Mike Tyson. Now, do you even? Let me ask you this, and, and be honest: do you, do you even drink whiskey? Uh, as uh, as as a as a as a beverage as a libation yourself, or did you have any did you have any uh, say and as, as to what went into this bottle, or did they say tell us no, what I you didn't. think of this? No, I didn't. They just assured me and said it was going to be a smooth evening, a smooth tasting drink. Mm -hmm. And do you drink whiskey uh, per se? Well, actually, not really. Mm -hmm. That's honest. Because uh, I, I, you know, um, after doing obviously the research and everything on this, I know that uh, that, that you have uh, an issue with diabetes throughout throughout your life, and and, and let's just be honest, you know, uh, drinking uh, fifths fifths of whiskey probably ain't the best thing for the for that either. Sorry, but, uh, yeah. I don't feel bad calling it verb verbose now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so. Um, and congratulations, because this you guys entered. You got yeah, you entered into the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, and you got the silver in 2020. Amazing, my friend. That's impressive. Right out of the gate, we're talking about a brand new whiskey that wins the silver in San Francisco. That that's that's pretty good. That's pretty real good. Here, I felt bad that I didn't get the gold. I was. I knew it. I knew you were going to say if I wanted the gold. But put it this way. I also know that in this family from ringside that 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 puts this that puts this whiskey out that Ray Boom Boom Mancini has a whiskey out as well. And when he went to competition, he only got the bronze. So, <laughs> well, that's right? the heavy. That's what you get with the heavyweight and the lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I uh, are you are you friends with Ray? Do you you guys? Yeah, I see Ray occasionally at autograph signings. Very cordial and nice man. Yeah, I mean, and there's everything too. People, if you want, if you want the whole Buster Douglas whiskey experience, you can go online. You can get keychains. You saw some of those pictures. Keychains. You can get shot glasses. You can get corkscrews. Uh, you can get the actual whiskey. You know, so yeah, there you go. You know, you can you can get the whole Buster the whole Buster experience. Let me uh, start going backwards a little bit and. Uh, Let's talk about your, your your history, if if you will. Your father was a boxer, um, William Dynamite Douglas, 
was that the was that the name that he gave himself, or was that the name that somebody gave him when he was boxing when he was fighting? Well, I'm sure he probably got it after he started fighting, you know, because he's a big puncher. So I'm sure somebody named him Dynamite. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because boxing, you know, he he also was a he ran a gym over there at a Blackburn Recreation Center. And so was boxing, was that a choice for you? Or was that something that you were told you were going to do? I imagine it was a choice. Sort of, kind of. Sounds familiar. That path was always open up there for me. Because I, I, I participated in football, basketball, played a little baseball. Uh, but boxing was eventually won out, of course. But so it was definitely by the latter part of my life before I started, right after I started, I kind of got a real good liking to it and uh, chose it. You know, I so liked you, the path. You did, cho you did choose it because, you know, you had a, you had a very promising career. You were a great basketball player. Uh, I know yeah. at one point in some interviews you said you love playing football, but, um, uh, you played basketball. You played on scholarship uh, in, in Coffeyville, Kansas. You're in the Basketball Hall of Fame in 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 in, in that particular arena. So you had some skills in basketball. Yes, I really, really enjoyed playing basketball. That became a passion, a very strong passion for my for me. But then it was always in the back of my mind about boxing. I always had a strong passion for that as well. It won out. So was your was your father just kind of sitting back and 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 waiting for you to come around to to say, OK, pops, just after my junior year, I gave him a call that, that summer and told him that when I came home, I was going to start boxing. And he was that was the call he was waiting for. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what was your father like? I mean, was was he was he uh, a type of person who's I'm going to let my boy do whatever he wants to do and let him come to his yeah, own decisions. Something like boxing is you, you have to you have to have a passion for it. You have to want to do it. You can't do it because of, you know you really have to have a desire, you know, because the individual sport really when it comes down to it, you know, you have to have the desire to go in there and with the training and then you put the right people around you. But you definitely have to it has to come from within first. So what happened? What, what When did that switch go off in your head? I just was uh, tired of playing basketball. Just had a strong urge all of a sudden for, for boxing again. And I came back that summer and started working out and it just grew from there. And did your father train you? Yes. I think I was with my dad for the first uh, 15 fights in my pro career. And that's when I switched up. We got with my uncle, J.D. McCauley. And John Johnson. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get up to that point. But um, your first fight against Dan O'Malley back in 1981, you won. You won. You, then you won your first five fights, and then you when you lost your first fight to David Bay, you're winning. You're that on was, track. That, yeah, that was my big, big first big shot at the big time. I was on a card in Pittsburgh on Larry Holmes. Uh, undercard. He was defending his title in Pittsburgh. And uh, big lights, man. I bet. That was, uh, you know, it, it distracted me. Kind of got a little caught up in the uh, attraction. How big was the crowd? Pretty big, right? The arena? It wasn't It wasn't so much of it. It was the event itself. It wasn't so much the crowd because it was a four-round fight, and, and we were the fill-in fight, so uh, I didn't fight till after the main event. Oh, okay. It was like a fill-in. If something went short before that main event, they throw a little four-round fight in there to fill in the card to keep it on level, on pace. But then nothing happened, so we had to wait till I was back there dressed, gloved up for over an hour and a half, you know, and uh, two hours, maybe more. And then it was, uh, okay, let's go. And it just kind of, mentally, I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. you know, it, was a, it was a learning process, that's for sure. How'd you, you, feel, when you, how'd you feel when you lost that first fight? In, in, I was upset. 
but I was upset, but I was even more determined because it just made me realize that this is it, baby. You gotta, you gotta be ready for anything. So it was a right. learning experience as well. Because then you go on, you get six more fights, all of them wins. You're supposed to fight Trevor Burbick. He backs out, and then you get Randall Tex Cobb at like with with what days notice? You find out you're gonna fight, you're gonna fight Tex. Yeah, three, three days. days. Three I days. Call, I got to call about your manager called me money and asked me, said, what do you think about Tex Cow? I said, well, he could be beat. Said, <laughs> we got him Friday. No, we got him Saturday. Like, oops. <laughs> what are you doing Saturday night? He said, well, yeah, right. I got it. I got to get my first time in Vegas, too. First time in Vegas. First time in Vegas. I went out to fight Tex Cobb when we fought the Riviera outdoors. Oh wow, oh, man! Okay, so when you talked about you know that, that first fight that that, that uh, when you lost to David Bay, you said you know the big fight and the lights and everything. Vegas, that had to be with that. Did that intimidate you at all? Fighting on the on a big oh, stage like that? I was, I was, I was ready. I was you were excited. Ready and the big lights were like bright. I was feeling good. It warmed me up. It's interesting, you know. We're, we're, before we get to 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 the fight, it's 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 interesting that uh, uh, what a lot of people I think forget, or maybe don't pay enough attention to, is that you were in in the boxing world. You were you were known. I mean, as as being uh, an excellent fighter, and I don't think I don't think along the way you got as much credit as you should have gotten uh over the course of, of that early career moving on up i mean yeah you had some losses some were decision i mean you uh you you uh you had a shot at the ibf when michael spinks vacated it by not defending the title and i think that fight was against uh was it was it tony tucker Tucker, yeah 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 i was doing pretty good in that fight too yeah you were doing real good in that fight that one that one that one was just uh how's that feel to be doing so well. I mean, I have obviously no idea, no idea because I, as much as I appreciate the sweet science that is boxing, I have no idea what is going through a fighter's head when he's doing so well, like you were in that Tucker fight. And then all of a sudden, man, just that one punch or whatever it is that, 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 that takes you down. How, how does, how does that, how does that, what does that do to you emotionally? Well, it's just one or two things. It gives you, uh, it makes you say, "Well, I had a good run, and you know, I guess that's as far as I'm gonna go." Or it makes you even more determined to, that you knew that in the back of your mind you could have done even better, and that's how I felt. I could have done even better, and uh, I just went, went right back in, got back in line, so to speak, and started fighting anybody they put in there with me. And battled my way back to contention to get an opportunity to fight for the t- another title. And you did. Um, a lot of people might not realize that you had uh, you were the undercard in, I think, five, maybe six Tyson fights before you actually fought Tyson oh, yourself. Yeah. I was right there. Yeah. I was always right there in the picture. Yeah. You were always right there in the picture. Did you study him? Not really, because he wasn't much to study. He just knew he was a, a terror. And uh, you just better be on top of your game when you got your opportunity to go in there with you. Yeah. So you know, focused and, you know, ready to go, ready to take some shots and give some back. You come to the point where you get your shot at Mike Tyson, February 10th, 1990 in Tokyo. When you were fighting on the 10th, it was pretty much the uh, 11th, I believe, here in, in America. And – this was one of those situations that obviously became one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Uh, Tyson is just destroying everything in his path. And I want, I want to talk about before we actually talk about the fight and some of the, uh, the intricacies of that particular bout, I want your opinion on where you thought Mike Tyson was mentally and emotionally up to that point. What, if anything, was in your head that said, I can beat this guy? Well, I knew that from the onset. Did you? I, I felt very good about the fight. I felt 
you know, like I said, I was under six undercards with him. Really, I just believed in me. I felt good about my talents and my abilities, and I knew I was mentally and physically, and it was nothing that I knew I was ready because I had been through all the BS coming up, and I got another opportunity to come back and get another shot. So I felt very strongly about my chances. You know, I was like, I was experienced. This wasn't handed to me because, as you said prior, I had six fights leading up to that, and they were all top contenders that I had to beat. I wasn't giving no pansy fights ever. No. You know, and I, you know, I earned that number two ranking, number two, three, and four ranking in the uh, top ten in the three boxing divisions. And, no, you beat, uh, you, you, beat, you, beat some, you beat some big guys. You beat Oliver McCall. Uh, you, 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 you got. Uh, I mean, they, they were there. You're right. There We're was not a, sure anybody in there. Yeah, there was there was a list of people that that uh, were formidable opponents before you met up with Tyson. But so 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 why? Why is it? Was it just based on Mike Tyson's reputation at that point that you were considered to be uh, such an underdog? Time, Why the disrespect? By the time that I got my opportunity to fight him again, if he wasn't decapitating people, you had no chance against this man because he was just destroying people, and a lot of people thought that by that time he was proven. You know, it wasn't no was he was he legitimate or not? He was definitely legitimate because he beat some. Great guys, you know, entitled defenses. So, you know, of course, I was doing well, but you know, like I said, I wasn't knocking people out with one punch. Something, you know, something so impressive that where they could say, you know, he has an opportunity. Like I always say, if you weren't, you know, knocking people's heads off, then you had they weren't looking at you as no threat. So let me ask you this: How dangerous is it? Because uh, everybody had written this fight off as a tune-up fight. For Tyson, who was uh, looking ahead to Japan. Yeah. How dangerous is it to not be focused on where you're at and instead look at where you think you might be going in the in that in the boxing world? Oh, it's very dangerous because you know it's a brutal sport and, it's, and there's no timeouts and no substitution. It's all about you. <laughs> You know, and it's just, you know, you got to make sure that you're ready to accept the challenge that's coming up, that's going to be coming upon you. Or you, you know, you just, it's not going to work out for you. And you got to be, and then also climbing that ladder, you got to be worthy, get some worthy opponents to have, a, have some experiences, you know, negative and positive, you know, leading up to the opportunity. So when you do get to that main event, world championship level caliber and you totally focused and you know you don't get in the ring and still have doubts so when i got in the ring that night you know i've been through it i've been through it all i earned that shot nobody gave me nothing I'm from the onset of my career i'm starting my professional boxing career in my father's basement and he, he introduced me to the game so by the time i got my second opportunity to fight for the title you know i felt very confident and relaxed and ready to go. Hmm. How much did your real life come into play that night? Because your mother, God bless her, passed away 23 days before that fight. Um, your marital situation was not in the best of circumstances at that particular point. So I'm asking, as an outsider looking in, how much does personal emotion at that point affect your boxing game and how does it affect it to the plus well, like and also to the minus well like i said before by that time i had experienced everything i was a veteran i was a contender and i had earned that i had earned that opportunity to get that shot against mike i beat six top flight fighters getting the opportunity to once I lost my first opportunity to fight for the fight for the title, at the battle back with six top contenders, and by the time I was ready, to, by the time I came to get that title shot against Mike, you know I was very focused and ready to go. And everything that was bothering me, or wasn't never really bothering me, or that was going on on the outside of my career, it didn't matter. It was strength. I just knew that it was something, some kind of force trying to uh, take the opportunity away from me, so I'd be distracted. The more something happened outside of my career, 
the more focus I got because I knew, like I said, this is another opportunity. It was a, I was experienced. I was a veteran. I had been through all I could go through, and I earned that shot. And I wasn't gonna let that opportunity blow by. Did your mother like the fact that you were a boxer, or or was she always worried about you? No, she she was uh, very positive. Supported me because she she knew how my dad had to go through. She just as long as she knew that I was taking care of my business, doing the right things, and focusing. That you know she was supported me one hundred and ten percent. Was that tough for her? Watching watching her watching her husband as as a fighter. Now now she's watching her son. It's in the blood. Yeah, it's in the blood. But 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 was it difficult for her? Did she ever say, "Buster, don't do this"? No, she never said that, but she couldn't actually watch the fight. She would <laughs> let me know that she was supporting me. She was behind me. But as far as going to the fights, she might have came to a couple of them. But as they got bigger, she couldn't. She would stay in the room. You know, she probably, you know, waited to hear about the hear the end result. Well, who wants? What mother wants to see their wants to see their baby boy getting getting hit? Not none. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. Right. I know. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this one back uh, here. Yeah, that's your mom. Yeah, that's my mom she's, right now. She's the one doing the hitting, you know. That's my mother right now. Some of the I things. Have, I have pretty good right hand. <laughs> <laughs> she had good follow through. Good follow through. Turns it over. All right. Uh, James, there there have been uh, so many questions, and I and we're, we're going to have some of these are going to be repeat questions that you that you've answered before. But I I, I want to know this, I want to know, uh, and and I haven't seen anything, and if I, if it's out there, I missed it. When you're in that ring with Mike Tyson, and that before that before that opening goes up, and you guys are right there next to each other, and you're getting the rules and so forth and so on. What were you thinking? What was what was when you were staring at each other in the face, in the eye, emotionally? What was going through your mind at that particular point? I mean, that's it. You are at the apex of what could be a determining factor in your career over the next few rounds. You don't know where it's going to go, what's going to happen. But emotionally speaking, I want to know what was going through your head. I know if it was me, I would have been shitting my pants. <laughs> I was just warming up, getting ready, man, getting that body loose. I knew I had something, I had a big challenge in front of me. And uh, I never really looked at him. I was just concentrating on getting myself ready because I knew when that bell rung, it was going to be on and popping. Did you purposely not look at him? Did you not want to look at him? Oh, Did you, was that it wasn't, a, it wasn't about staring him down. It was just about getting ready to let the hands go when the bell rung. Mm -hmm. All that steer down stuff is good for the cameras, but what's going to make an impact is hitting them, letting them mm -hmm. hands go. And that's, that's the only thing that's going to really determine and let him know that you know, it's a fight tonight. Yeah. Get yourself ready. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Let, letting the hands go. Well, the hands were a, a huge factor in that. Your reach, uh, that, I mean, was catching Tyson off guard. I mean, that, 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 that's that's what amazes me about this. When I read more about this fight, they didn't even have an ice pack in the ring for Mike Tyson because they were that self-assured that this was just going to be a walk in the park. They didn't even have anything in his corner to – to to deal with that swelling eye that that he got popped in uh, in the, in the middle of the fight, they had to get a. I think they had to get a. I, I think they had to fill up a condom with 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 ice water and put it over his head, or right, what they call right. a, a latex glove or something. But I I've heard different variations on that's the theme. That's what I, that's what I was talking about earlier. It was like shit. I mean, if you weren't decapitating people or had a punch that would put dents in people's heads. You had no chance, so they they were so comfortable that you know it was like, you know, this is going to be, we'll be back in the locker room in ten minutes, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Wow. And the odds were forty-two to one. There was only one casino in Las Vegas that offered up odds, uh, and it was the Mirage. 
And I want to personally thank you because in 1990, in February of 1990, I was a, a struggling comedian, not making more than three or $400 a week. And I actually got to take $20 of my hard earned money. And I went for the long shot back in February of 1990 and said, what the hell? I'll blow $20 on cigarettes and, and booze. I'm going to put it on the long shot and see if hometown can actually pull it off. Awesome. Not, not yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea. You won me $840, which went a long <laughs> way. It's That's a, a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> it's, awesome. a, it's a $840 back in 1990. It was like millions uh, for anybody else at that point. So, yeah. And I, I, I remember talking to the, the guy I laid the, the bet down with in Steubenville, Ohio. And he goes, the fuck? I can't believe you won. I can't believe you won. I can't believe you won. Congratulations. That's it's amazing. Everybody, everybody was shocked. Uh, and here's the thing. You win and become the heavyweight champion of the world. And immediately... Because, and we're going to talk about it, because of what they said was the long count, it's almost taken away from you the very next day right. as far as being undisputed. Did, how did that feel? The best moment was hearing my name announced as a new undisputed heavyweight champion. Right. It was a great feeling and great accomplishment. Everything was fascinating. But as soon as I got out the ring and got up to my room, that's when it all started. The nightmare began. The nightmare begins. Yeah, Talk nightmare. about that. Yeah, the nightmare. Because now all the controversy. Don King, Don King starts getting there and starts, uh, and you know, everybody starts talking about the long Don't count. Which, trust me, my friend, the three of us here have watched this this piece of footage repeatedly. There's a there's a video out there where it has both uh, both when you knock down Tyson and when Tyson knocked you down side by side, and your bodies hit the mat at the same time. The, the period of time that elapsed was exactly the same. Yeah, and it's the human count. It's not a stopwatch. Exactly. Right. You know, so, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was horrible. And it, it went like that for the next four and a half, five months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a glorious moment for about as long as the fight lasted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I, was, I mean, and so did that take something away from it for you? I mean, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Because normally you win the title, when you win a fight, you get time to relax and relax, chill out, do some things, oh, right. and get back into the gym. But it was never. It was the on, ongoing battle from the onset. It never stopped. You know, right into the next fight, it was just it was a horrible experience. But eventually, Mike Tyson recants and 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 and, and, and pulls away from all that, and you are the undisputed heavyweight <laughs> champion of the world. Right. right, right. Do you talk to Mike Tyson? Are you friends? Yeah, we we've uh, met a couple of times. It's been cordial. It's been great. Yeah, it was just that time, and it was, you know. How long after the fight before it became cordial and about great? Three years. Three about years. Three, yeah. 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 But just a couple of years ago, I was in LA with him at his Doing birthday. His birthday. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. So, what do you think about him coming back and, and fighting, you know, with this whole legends thing he's got going on? Well, great, you know, that, uh, you know, he's got enough, he got the will to get himself in shape again and looking good and and his legends. So it's not it's not fighting the guys that's coming up today, but guys yeah. in our air, you know, so that's what they want to do is fine, you know, it's all good, you know. But boxing isn't like it isn't like being on the seniors tour for golf. I mean boxing <laughs> is still <laughs> boxing no, I don't care if it's a le go ahead. You got the legends now, so it might be something new starting, you know. It's still boxing. It's still physical. It's still, you're still, yeah, you're still, I, getting, you're still getting hit. From what I understand, it's headgear, 16-ounce gloves, or 18-ounce gloves. It's That's a spark session. It's not like 10 or 8-ounce gloves and, you know, a real the real uh, 
match, even though they could get a little heated, but still, again, it's, it's more no more than like a sparring session. Right. And it's uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Who's going to win that? Who's going to be? Who's going to win that fight? Even though it's an exhibition. Oh, I was, I was, I was leaning a little more towards Mike because Roy is coming up still, you know, in weight because he's a natural 60, 165 pounder. So you know, I would lean towards Mike and then later because I think it's only like an eight round match. So. Mm -hmm. Rounder. Do you think do you think this is all just uh, a setup? Do you think for Mike to actually try to come back and be in contention to, well, to, be, you know, to be the youngest person who ever won the, the the championship and the oldest that I guess that would be if he were to win he would win the championship. Turned out to be that way if he's impressive enough in these little matches. It can always lead to more, bigger, 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 and better things. So you never know. Yeah. Do you think he could? Yeah, I think he can. Yeah, I think you need to. You need to suit up, champ. You need to go in there. Yeah. I know you're gonna come today. Yeah, come gonna, on. No. What happens? <laughs> I'm, working, I'm working with the, with the younger kids today, and uh, I'm happy with these with these kids working with the amateurs, and uh, I'm the king, no doubt, no question. <laughs> Yeah, so I like that. I'm happy with that. Yeah, and in fact, uh, you have a your your charity, your organization actually supports uh, the workforce and development uh, of and and training for 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 kids at, that are at risk. So you're actually uh, giving back in that way, in a big way. Uh huh. Get their yeah. frustration off of them. Mm -hmm. They get better about themselves and walk out and walk, come in the gym. Mad and upset, but leave out relaxed and exhausted. As a father with 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 sons, and your father who waited patiently for you to decide to to be a boxer, are you doing the same with your boys? Artie, if they have an interest in it, sure. Artie's the only one that's involved with it is right now. And you don't push it? No, like I said before, it's got to be something that you want to do. It's got to come from within. You can be doing it for somebody else, but you have to have a deep down desire to do it because this is a lot of will and determination. He's self-motivated. Is it tough for a son to pursue that line of sport being in the shadow of his father, who was the heavyweight not champion not of the world? Not at all. There's no pressure. Ever, no pressure. pressure. doesn't I come up. I didn't feel the pressure when I was coming Coming under my father, and he was a—he was one of the roughest and toughest middleweights, my heavyweights in the division. He was in the top ten in both of them. So, actually, it was a—it was a sort of kind of a negative because they were always comparing me to him, and they didn't say, "I don't see it in you that I've seen in your father." That Billy was something else. More motivation. Buster, yeah. what happened? What happened with your father? What happened? What what caused that? What caused that split, that rift that made you shift gears and, and, and go with a whole new team and a new trainer? Well, you know, it wasn't, it just didn't, it was not getting the same satisfaction. I wasn't getting the same satisfaction that uh, I was getting or gotten from working with my uncle and uh, John Johnson and John Russell. You know, we were more organized and more focused on me, you know, seeing that things were put in place to where help me along along my path of becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. And I'm sorry if this is a tough question, but did did, did you realize that your father was becoming a uh, was it was impeding that progress at some point? And I mean, where 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 did that relationship? How did that relationship end up? Once you once you became champion of the world, where was your father in all this? Yeah, right now we were cool. We were cool. Yeah. It was just the initial initial separation, the, the breakup. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to call my mother in at the table and had my dad sit down and I told him that I was going in a different direction. And we had to work it, you know, talk it out, let him know that, you know, that I was going A, B, C, D, and uh, you know, this is it. For us, 
Oh, I bet that, that, that's helped you probably become a better dad and a coach. Exactly. It all, it, it all turned out to be a positive. Let's watch some clips. Unless you have some more questions, Dino. I want to watch this. I know. That's what, yeah, let's let's get to let's get to Johnny, whatever you got up and running. This is gonna be the eighth round where Tyson knocks you down. And uh, Greg can kind of explain why he wants you to look at this and comment on it. Well, just yeah, you I mean you mentioned about you know mental toughness is something knocks you down, you gotta get back up. Still beating Tyson to the punch, Greg. Weston, which is the more confident fighter now? Let the hands go. Let the hands go. Boom, boom. And Tyson is holding on. I've never, never seen this before with Mike Tyson. He's always been the initiator. Here he's against the ropes. And now you got him against the ropes. Oh, you got him against the ropes. Okay, watch this stuff. Boom. Okay, now you're hitting the canvas because you're pissed. Right. Right? You're hitting the, you're punching the canvas because you're pissed that that you, you had him and you, and he got that shot in and well the mental lapse you know just that brief moment of wanting to pause for the cause in the middle of a fight and got caught. Were you right. like thinking to yourself, I'm I'm doing pretty good? <laughs> Was that basically exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> you want to say so? What do you think about me now? <laughs> so that so that punch into the canvas is just like God damn it! I'm I, I, I'm, I had I'm pissed. Him. I'm pissed. Yeah. I had him, and I'm pissed off because you could you were physically able to get up before you did. Yeah, I wasn't hurt at all. I was totally focused on what was going on around me. That's why I hit the canvas like, damn. Yeah, damn. That's exactly what it was. It was, it was a damn. I started to get up, but I picked up the count. Knew I had a couple more seconds to do a quick body check. There you yeah. go. Use the yeah. full ten, baby. Now, when you went down and, and hit the and hit the canvas with your glove, and you get back up, and you're ready to go again. Totally different set of circumstances when Tyson goes down, and and the fight is called. So let's right, let's right, go to the right, tent. Right. Let's go to the tent. How many times have you think you've watched this, Buster? Couple. <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> once or twice, right? Yeah, once or twice. It, it appears that Tyson is virtually a one-eyed fighter at this point. A desperate one-eyed fighter, rolling willingly just to try to get in the shot. That His feet still moving, Buster. Well, that and, oh. and, and, and boom, down. Okay, down goes Tyson. Let's watch the counts and in your eye, your hands up in the air is the best. Six, seven. It's over. It's over. He couldn't even yeah. get up. He couldn't. It could have gone to twelve. It didn't matter. It he, wasn't, he wasn't able to fight. And Buster, when when a when a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up, that's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, but I knew the time had to be running out, and he was focused. He'd have got on up because that gave him more time. The referee would have got the mouthpiece, cleaned it off, and put it back in his mouth, so he had a little bit more time to clear his head. Yeah. When he, when he when he was searching for it, I knew it was over. Man. Where's my mouthpiece? Where's my wallet? Where's my watch? <laughs> where, 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 I? I, had, I had a whole bunch of things on me before this started, and I can't see. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. What do you mean I'm out? Okay. All right. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And that moment, man, that's that that moment. You are that. What's that? Time dream come true. Yeah. How do you top that? As you go on in life. I mean, when you reached, when you went, when, when the three of us, John Whitney, Greg Hansberry, and myself, I don't think we've achieved a, a, a moment in our lives yet where we are, quote, the champions of our the world, world, of our world. And I don't know if we ever will. So when you reach that point in your life, that is the top of that mountain. Emotionally, through the years, through the past thirty years, does that does that affect how you go on in life? I mean, what is the next? What mountain is there to climb after you've already hit the, the highest peak? Well, after that was having my, my two youngest kids. That was pretty exciting and pretty that was a great moment in my life as well. 
And then from that point on, it was just, you know, raising them and uh, enjoying life. You wanted to do. You wanted to fight the very best when you when you defended your title and you went after Holyfield. Were you in the same frame of mind for Holyfield as you were for Tyson? That was the furthest thing from our, the Tyson fight, mentally, mm-hmm. going into the Holyfield fight because of what I had to go through for the last five months, you know, with the court cases flying all over the place, trying to defend the title, defend being the heavyweight champion or uh, before I even got to defend the title. Yeah. You know, it was, not, it was like you won the fight, but you're not going to enjoy it. And it was just an on onslaught of ridiculousness. Why <laughs> crying is what I call it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. He didn't. I beat. He knocked him down. I knocked him down first before he knocked me down. You know, he went from the baddest man to the platform on the planet to the whining his baby on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the first person to even to knock him down ever. That's awesome. Knock That's him great. out and knock yeah. him out. Knock him out and knock him out. Knock, knock, him, him, out. knock him out. Yeah. Uh, that's that's too bad it's a shame that's just that's just media and money getting involved you know but look at us but look at look at us look at us here reminiscing about uh, one of the greatest upsets in sports history from 30 years ago and and look at what we're talking about we're talking about uh do do you do you have remorse for where the sport is right now cuz boxing where it is right now just doesn't seem to have uh, the the grit and the and the for lack of a better word the 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 glamour. I mean, I I I watch it still, but I don't I don't care. I don't get excited like I used to when back in the nineties when right. when you were fighting and Tyson was fighting and Holyfield was fighting and then and then you go down the other other weight classes, you know the 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 middleweights and so forth. When when you know I got boxing gloves. Hanging in my in my bar from from Tommy Hitman Hearns that he signed right. that that, right. that that I love. I mean, there's I, there's what happened. Well, just uh, to me, I look at it like it's an opportunity. It just provides opportunity for some somebody to come in there and get it back like it was before. Yeah, you know, where it was like you said earlier when it was Sugar Ray Leonard, and Tommy Hearns, Roberto Durans, the Larry Holmes, you know, it was just, you know, it's opportunity for an individual to, to turn it all around. You know, it's still there. It's just that somebody has to go back out there and bring it back to showtime. It seems like what? UFC has has filled that void a little bit. What are your thoughts, just real quick, on UFC? Yes, no. UFC, you know, I'm not a big fan of it. But, again, you know, in boxing, it will always be boxing. But it's just got to be that, that light that somebody has to bring that light out again and get, bring the interest back into it. You know, it's just not like that now. You know, like the heavyweight champion, Anthony Joshua, he's a decent fighter. Wilder, I thought, was going to be the one that probably got it all together, but he never learned. Nobody never showed him how to throw straight punches. <laughs> you know, the, uh, talent pool isn't like it used to be. That's all it is. It's just the fighters are fighting the best they can, but it's just not giving the audience or the legitimate fight fans, you know, excitement isn't there, mm-hmm. you know. And then these guys today, the ones that are uh, pretty decent, like in the smaller divisions and that welterweight division, they're trying to get together and make one champion. And that's really a great division because they all have thrown in their chant, all have thrown in their hats, so to speak. In the, in the pot to where they're ready to fight each other instead of milling around talking. So they've gotten together where they're starting to fight each other to make one world champion, undisputed heavy waterway champion. And that's the strongest weight class right now, you know, as far as the competitiveness. You know, it's, that's all it is. It's got to take an individual to bring it back around. I think it'll happen. It's always, you know, we get those errors like on my era where everybody – you can know the, the champion can be anybody any given night. Right. Just gotta get that excitement back up again. I wanna move from the sport to the to the cinematic part of it. Uh Jamie Foxx supposedly is gonna be playing 
Mike Tyson in a new Tyson movie. Uh, I would imagine in that story, much like in, in previous incarnations of other Tyson movies, there was a, there was a, I think a 1995 movie where Dwayne Davis played you in that, in that movie. Um, I would, I would, I would have to factor in that, that February 10th, 1990 would, would factor into the Jamie Foxx movie. Who would you like to play you right now? If it was if they, if they start if they go in the camera in front of the cameras tomorrow, they're looking at me. <laughs> Great answer. Good answer. You, want, you want to play you? Give me three months, I'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> all you need three months. All right. Is that, okay. All right. I mean that's fine because because apparently you you have no problem getting in front of the camera. We have. We have a clip of you from a, a, a film. Johnny, what's the film? Gettysburg to Baghdad? Yeah, we'll just kind of play in the background when we want to talk yeah. about it. What, what is no, this, uh, this? This is Gettysburg uh, to Baghdad. Civil War. Yeah, so tell us about the production and, and kind of how you were involved and how you got involved. Starting out with the producer and director out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And he asked me to participate in it, and I was more than happy to be getting involved with it. Yeah. You're playing a priest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he laughs. Oh, I can't play a priest. <laughs> you can play any way the thing you want, champ. We're not going to argue with you at all. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Oh, Tell no. different, John. Yeah, <laughs> you want to do more acting? Yeah, I had a good time doing it. That's that's something I can get into. Yeah, yeah. you enjoy yeah. it? Yeah, it was great. Great time, and uh, that was. You know, being in front of the cameras really, you know, throughout my career kind of helped me be more relaxed once we did the filming of the movie and stuff. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a good time. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to get involved, you got any ideas of a type of film that you would like to get involved in right now? Well, uh, anything, really. You got, do you have a dream project that you'd like to put on film? Well, mine is trying to work on uh, doing my life story now and, uh, Got it written and uh, just trying to put it together. Okay, you, know, so uh, you play you at some point in that in that. But who would play? Who would play you? Who would play you? Right he's now, he's got to get a son. He's got to get a son. Like Ice Cube's son played him him in yeah. in, in the movie. Right, maybe Artie would do it. There you go. Right. <laughs> Has already got. I, I don't. I don't know. Artie's already got any acting chops. Can he's, not, you know, he's not afraid. He is stand up to the camera. He will accept that challenge. Good. Nice. And the challenge now, as we start to wrap things up, is for people to put that bottle back up there, John Whitney. Buster Douglas is 42 to 1, the whole reason that we got together this evening to talk about a lot of things. But this is what's currently going on. Like I said, from the outgo of this podcast, you are entering a, uh, a very competitive world in the world of whiskeys and bourbon and the fact uh, that you came out the gate with a silver at the San Francisco world spirits competition is a pretty good start. So is this going to expand throughout the country or is it just going to be limited to Ohio? Well, hopefully we want to expand throughout the country, but right now it's limited to Ohio. We're going to move from there. Once it starts moving out after production, cause it's on the shelves now. So we'll see how that works. And, uh, Move move forward. Yeah, and is well, it selling? I, here, here. I I say yeah, go for it. It's selling yeah. well. You guys founded a giant eagle uh, at, at giant eagle establishments. It, yeah, we did, yeah. And what John is what like forty bucks, something like that. It's like yeah, thirty nine dollars. So it's under fifty, which is our, our target uh, price right oh, on the bourbons that we like. But uh, I got one more thing. I got one more thing though before we leave okay, because. Close. Everybody get their get their fair share. Because, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of a lot of guys when they when they win the championship and they become a household name, they get to ask to to do a lot of things that normally you wouldn't have a chance to do. Oh, That's great. And you got a chance to get in the ring with another Columbus boy, right? Right, Macho Man. Macho there Man, Randy Savage. And I just yeah. happen to have a clip. <laughs> Let's and, you see. Know, told me when we were in the ring. He said, you know, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Also, I was like, no shit, really? I, I had no idea. Oh, really? Was, as you're fighting, guy. as you guys are fighting, he tells you this? He was pointing his finger at me, talking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest thing was, I hope he don't go 
go nuts though. You just got to remember who I am and what we're in here for. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, but it was a great time. That was awesome. Yeah. So well, set it up. He had just he had just slapped you because you he thought you did a fast count. Yeah, you're the guest referee. Yeah, that you're is. the guest referee. Savage turning his back. On James Buster Douglas. This is awesome. After slapping him in the face, it's a good thing Douglas is a gentleman. I can tell you that. It's a good thing Douglas is a gentleman. Look at it. How much of this is Douglas going to take? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh. Yeah. What a sucker punch. And who can push him into it? The champ. Was that, it took two of them. The and champ. That's a big guy right there. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. The guy's like 6'6 six, six and about three, uh, 320 or something like that. The guy's huge. Oh, yeah, he's a huge guy. It's funny that you had that conversation. Like, you know, we're all here just for fun and doing it because that's the same conversation I think that uh, Stallone had in, in, in Rocky Three when he's doing the wrestling thing with Hulk Hogan. We're here just for fun. Right, right. So, all right, yeah. so it's kind of funny how, how that, uh, you know, reality and cinema – Actually, actually mirrored each other, and that was the actual case. <laughs> We're here just for fun, but yeah. damn, that's gotta um, be fun. It's gotta fun be fun. Stuff. Yeah. Well, James Buster Douglas, I want to thank you sincerely for uh, spending some time with us today. Much, much, much success with forty-two to one. I hope it starts flying off the shelves. I can't wait to actually try it myself when I get home. Thank you uh, so much. Um, but uh, I want to thank you for your time and your generosity, and uh, also. Uh, thank you for everything that you continue to do for the community in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that I think that is probably aside from all of all your all of your other accomplishments uh, in the sporting world and and being one of the greatest stories in sports history. I think the story that you continue to write today in present day life is probably even more important and more valuable in the long run because you're changing and affecting lives. And uh, I, I think that, my friend, is a true champion. Right there, Thank for sure. So I enjoyed it. You, know, you guys are much success. Uh, thank you very much. You. James Buster Douglas, everybody. The champ. The champ. All the right. Champ. Yes. Thank you, sir. We bid you all a fair a farewell. Uh, Hansbury, if you can wrap up. up. Here we go before we wrap up. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for uh, checking out Whiskey Business. Uh, you can find us in all of our archive episodes on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, subscribe to, to us there, and all the new episodes will pop right up into your feed. Rate and review us so uh, other whiskey-loving, crazy knuckleheads like us can uh, can hang out with each other. Uh, we're on Facebook, YouTube. If you're watching us now, thank you very much. You can uh, follow us and subscribe to us if you're not. Uh, if you are listening to this on our podcast, we do live Facebook and YouTube streams almost all the time now because of this crazy coronavirus stuff. So um, uh, follow us there, and you can, you can watch this live uh, uh, when when we're doing it here. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, WhiskeyBusinessPod.com. That's all I got. Well, thank yeah, you, everybody, for me. who joined us on Facebook Live. I see a lot of comments, which obviously I saw coming back. People love forth. Buster, man. Yeah, yeah they do love Buster. Vince Morris, nice squack that we got Buster on. What a classy guy. He definitely was a classy guy. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, <laughs> to Mar Marciel Lopez, I want to sign the whiskey label. Well, you know what? I know there that go. there was actually used to be a, a signing. There were. Yeah. It got canceled because of COVID. So I'm sure they're going to uh, to rearrange that and, and, and reschedule that before it's all said and done. Um, Great guest. Uh, you guys are drinking the whiskey. You like it. You say it's a good sipping whiskey. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. John, show them the bottle. Uh, you got like batch number one. It's kind of cool because they're all. I mean, it's it's going to be a small batch. So I mean, you, if you're a fan, uh, like like you, Lopez, look, batch one bottle. What two thousand thirty two thousand two hundred three three? Like you you can go and just sift through and find a cool bottle number and. Uh, it's a cool local Columbus thing. If not, hopefully, you know, I, I know other people in the country listen to this show. Uh, yeah, finished and bottled in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland Whiskey Company. 
Many thanks to uh, Buster Douglas, James Buster Douglas, for joining us. The whiskey, the guest bottle, uh, Buster Douglas's 42 to 1, available in Ohio. Check out your favorite Giant Eagle and see if it's available there. Reasonably priced at around 40 bucks a bottle. Give it a try, and let's uh, make his whiskey not so much an underdog in the whiskey world. Let him rise to the top. Whiskey Business is a never-the-luck production uh, produced on the audio side by the verbose <laughs> Greg Hansberry and of okay. course the amazing always amazing John Whitney ladies and gentlemen yes he is yes uh he's shake yes he is no he isn't he is amazing yes he is he is he's he's an idiot <laughs> but he's our idiot and That's of course right. uh me you're you're in Florida taking care of mom host <clears throat> That's a whole podcast by itself. I'm Dino Tripotis. Until the next bottle. See ya. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.